Welcome back. We are in the final week of this series, which is Hope Rising. And throughout this series, which is the Easter series, we've been going backwards through the story of Jesus in his final days, in, in his final week, so to speak. And, and we started with the resurrection. And one of the reasons I've done this is because that is our moment of victory. Like that is the moment that we really know what is, what is in store for us and, and how much power, how much glory, how much victory he has over everything, over every awful thing, over death itself. And, and from there, on actual Easter Day, we talked about the crucifixion. And that can be a tough thing to talk about on Easter because it's hard to hear. It's hard to think about. It's hard to talk about even. Because as I've said, one of the things that, that comes with Christianity is there are a few things that you say and you hear and you read over and over and over and over again. Uh, the Christmas story and the Easter story, we probably hear and read more than anyone, any other story in the entire Bible. Uh, even if you've only been to church once or twice, like that's usually the times that you go. And so those are the days that we really hear about the birth of Jesus and about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so through that, and it's good that we keep it alive, it's good that we talk about it because there's always something more we can find in it. But through the repetition of it and through the fact that everyone has a shared knowledge of it, it turns into a story. Uh, not, not in a negative way, but in a way where we start to think, oh, well, I know what happens next. And once you know what happens next, you tend to not worry. So whatever your favorite movie is, uh, let's just say, for example, it's Avengers Endgame. Uh, and so you've watched it over and over and over again. And the first time you watched it, when Iron Man died, you know, sorry, spoilers, but it's been like two years. Uh, when, when he dies, it's like, oh, man, this is so hard. And maybe you cry. Maybe you get sad. Maybe you get upset. All of that. You feel it. But then the next 17 times, and maybe I'm the only one that's done that, you watch it in theaters. Uh, you watch it. You, you, it doesn't have the same impact. And obviously, that's something that's way less important than Jesus and what he did. And so at the same time, it's something that we even hear and read and see less than what we've seen with Jesus. And so going backwards through it, we take the most important moments in history, not just in Christian history, but in history history, and we see how their context sets up. So we see that when he rises again, he is still Jesus. He has a perfect body. He, he is glorified and he's ready to go on to prepare a place for us forever. But he still is Jesus at heart. He still appears before women who were mourning. He still appears before his disciples and shows grace and mercy and love. And then we go back and we see how much negativity he had to face in, in, in the, the crucifixion, in the fact that he was beaten almost to death before that. We see how even while he's dying, he has grace. He has forgiveness in his heart. He offers hope to everyone around him. Last week, we talked about the, the prayer in the garden, and we don't talk about that one as much as the other two parts of this story, this epic, but we see that he shows exactly what humanity can be. We see that even when he's betrayed, even when the disciples fall asleep, even when everybody around him kind of doesn't see the importance in what he's doing, we see that he has hope for us. We see that he shows us a better way. We see that he shows us what we can be and who we can be, which is another thing that we talk about so often in Christianity over and over and over again, whether you're a pastor or a teacher or somebody in the congregation, somebody in the choir, somebody who just works at the church, somebody who goes to the church occasionally, we say the phrase, be like Jesus over and over and over again, because that's what we should do. And that's who we are. And yet the more we say it, the less meaning it can sometimes have because it's just something, oh yeah, I know that. But we have to truly think about what that means. And so today I'm going to talk about 
the Last Supper and the communion and everything that goes in that because the title of this message this week is The Hero's Journey. Uh, one of the things that in literature that I, you hear about, you read about a lot, is something called the hero's journey. Uh, most great works of literature, from the Odyssey to the Lord of the Rings to Genesis, book one of the Endgame trilogy, whatever it is you want to say, is great. Uh, you know, to each his own. But each of those has uh, something called the hero's journey in it, where basically there's a call to action for the hero, and then he goes and he meets other people, he has a mentor, he goes through trials and tribulations, and then he ends up being victorious or sacrificing himself, something. And most of that idea comes from Jesus' life, because in his story, we see what a true hero is. We see through the Bible, through how he lived, this actual moment where he didn't get called to action, he called others to action because even the hero's journey, he flips upside down. And then he continued to go forward when he was hated, when he was mocked, when people didn't listen to him, when people would walk away from him, when people betrayed him. He continued to go forward and call others to go with him. It was never just about him. Although obviously everything that we do should be about him. But his life, was about us and pointing us to the Father, pointing us to heaven, pointing us to ways to be like him and to go forward like him. And so he had that call to action for all of us. And we see that in each step of this journey, each step of his life. And so I want to go to Luke chapter 22, 7 through 30. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Um, most of us have heard the term Passover, sometimes just in this context. If you don't know what it is, it's something that the, the Jewish people still honor every single year. Uh, it goes back to when Moses was, uh, God was using Moses to free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And they go through the ten plagues. And then the last one is the worst one where the firstborn son of everyone that didn't have lamb's blood on their door would die, basically. Like, they'd wake up and they'd be dead. And so that was a hard one. And that was something where God said, if you have the blood of the lamb on your door, if you believe in me, if you follow me, the angel of death will pass over your house. And so it's literally honoring that moment where God protected them, where God gave them a way out, where God gave them the blood of a lamb. Now you see foreshadowing and you see God saying, look, I have a plan and I'm going to show you little snippets of that plan all along, but you have to know that I know what I'm doing and God does. And so he leads them. And in that Passover, we see what Jesus is doing, where Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. His blood literally protects us from the shadow of death. And so that's why it took place around Passover. And that's what the disciples and Jesus are about to share, because they followed the Jewish faith, because they, they trusted God. They followed him. And so this is just before Christianity really is a thing. It's just in the, the beginnings where Jesus is teaching them what it means to start the church, teaching them what it means to, to truly follow their faith, to truly start this faith. And so they celebrate the Passover because Jesus knows it's the last really moment of peace that they're going to have. And probably he hopes that they'll kind of get it. They'll be like, oh, I see a correlation here. And it'll be weeks later when they think about that. But they'll see, oh, wow. So God has this ultimate plan that goes from before the beginning of everything through now, through beyond. That's amazing. He must truly have my life in his hands. And that's something that we all should understand. And that's something that we see in just this little bit where Jesus said, we're going to celebrate the Passover. And so we go to the next part. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. 
He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When, when I first read this, when I was a kid and I was reading through the Bible for the first time and reading through the Gospels for the first time, I remember thinking, well, what does this have to do with the rest of the story? Like, this is the part where our faith is born. This is the part where he's about to be betrayed and crucified. Uh, because even as a kid, I'd heard that story and I knew it. And it meant something to me, although not as much as it would eventually mean. Because once you gain more understanding, you build that relationship, you start to really understand that sacrifice more. But reading it as an adult and looking at it as I prepare a message, I see that in this small moment where a lot of places, if this were a fictional story, they would just cut this out and, and an editor would say, yeah, you don't need this. You just need to go from point A to point B. You don't need this extra little fill. But this is important. Everything in the Bible is important, which is amazing. But this little part is important because by saying to the disciples, hey, go here, and talk, like follow this guy, and then you're going to see that he has a secret room prepared. And he has the, everything ready, which shows that Jesus had everything ready, that he'd prepared a place already on earth, just as he's about to go and prepare a place in heaven. And by doing this, he's saying, see, you're going to be safe. Because he knew that even though they didn't fully get what he was doing, as we saw last week with Peter cutting off the ear and being ready to fight as the disciples ran away and all of that, even though they didn't fully understand his message and what he was saying at this point, they still knew that people were out to get them. They still knew that it was a dangerous life. They still knew that the Pharisees didn't like him. They still knew that the Romans were around. They still knew that what they were doing was illegal. And so they probably felt some sense of worry, of concern every step of the way. Even with Jesus near them, they probably felt that because they're human. And yet Jesus in this moment said, look, we have this one meal left. And we are going to share this meal. And I'm going to show you by, by literally sending you ahead so you can see this room was prepared. You see that I have done this. You see that I have set preparations. That you're going to have this safe time. You're not going to have to worry. You're not going to have to be eating and looking over your shoulder because it's going to be this safety. It's going to be this place of, of seclusion, this place of peace. And again, this is foreshadowing to what heaven is going to be, where he's literally gone on and prepared a place where all of the worries, the concerns, the, the condemnation that we feel in the world, the corruption that we see in the world won't be there. And, and it's crazy to think about that in the way that we see our, our world, in the way that we live our lives. Uh, just recently, and I was talking to Terry beforehand, I got hacked yesterday. Uh, I... I have a Nintendo Switch, and I'm not going to say much about it so nobody else hacks me, sorry. And, and so I uh, got an email saying that I had just, I had a new sign-in for my account in Italy. I'm not in Italy, as you can see, uh, and so there are a lot of reasons I'm not in Italy right now. And, and so I, I, I was not there, I saw that, I immediately thought, hey, this probably isn't me. And so I jumped on uh, the internet and I quickly signed myself out of all devices and I went through like a two hour phone call to set up things and fix things. Uh, I had money stolen from me, I'm still trying to get that back and so hopefully, so if you're watching this and you work for Nintendo, hey. But uh, throughout all of this, I, I was just, I felt so heavy. Like, why do we have to worry about things like this? Why do we have to carry things like this? Why do people do this? We know that people do bad things. We know that people take. We know that people steal. We know that people cheat. We know that people hurt. And the reason for that 
and I'm not going to define all of humanity right here, but the reason for that, at the heart of that, is that everyone has this hole in their life. Everyone knows that they need more, that they're built for more, that they could have more. And so for a lot of people, they fill that with drugs. They fill that with, with excess of alcohol, with excess of food. They fill that with excess of movies or video games or whatever. And not all of those things are bad, but they fill their lives with that. Some people, they'll fill it with negative things. They fill it with, with uh, corruption. They fill it with stealing. They fill it with lying. They fill it with addiction. They fill it with something to try to feel a moment of peace. And so for whatever reason, people steal. And we know that that happens. And it sucks. And it hurts. And I feel betrayed. And I feel upset. And all of these things. And so as I'm, I'm reading my scripture, and as I'm about to, to speak today, I'm still carrying that. Even though I've done everything that I can, I'm still carrying that. And all of you kind of feel that too at different times. Something bad has happened. Uh, maybe you've been the cause of it. Maybe somebody's been the cause of it. Maybe you've felt it. Maybe there's been a horrible tragedy. Something that you face. Something that, that is just beyond beyond description even. And you feel that and it kind of hangs over everything that you do. And it's impossible to get away from it because your mind doesn't shut down. And maybe it's hard to go to sleep and all of these things. And I say all of that for two reasons. Uh, for three reasons. Number one, because I just talk. But number two, imagine what it would be like for Jesus. Not only knowing that he's about to die, not only knowing that he is about to leave his, cre his creation, his loved ones, that he loves being around so much. Not only knowing that he's about to suffer, but more than that, knowing that his people are about to suffer. Knowing the path of the disciples in the church and how hard it will be and how difficult it will be and how painful it will be at times. And, and knowing all of that, carrying all of that, knowing that one of his 12 closest friends, his, his brother Judas, is going to betray him, knowing that Peter, who is one of the closest people ever to him, is going to deny him, knowing that Thomas, who again, one of the 12, is going to doubt him, knowing all of these things, he still sits and eats, he still talks, he still teaches, he still lives, he carried all of that as he goes to pray for us, as he goes to die on a cross for us, as he comes back again, all of those things were on his mind and it did not stop him, it did not end him, it did not even curtail him, which is, I don't know why I said that, it did not even affect his journey because he knew that what he was doing was why he was here, he knew that it was important, he knew it was vital, he knew it was for us, he, it was out of love. And so we feel all these things that, that are important to us. And as I've said before, if something matters to you, it matters. It doesn't matter if somebody else says you shouldn't be hurt by that. If you're hurt, you're hurt. And we carry that and it's hard. And so we seek places. We seek times. One of the things that is hardest about not having church, even though the live streams and the Facebook lives and all of that is amazing. And it's so good to be able to do that, to be able to reach out, to have Pastor Tim and Julie and uh, to, to preach on Sundays, to have the rest of the staff uh, do the Facebook Lives, to, to have things like that in our lives are important and they help us to see that, that we're not alone. But one of the, the things that we miss most about church, even if you're not a people person, even if you're introverted, like I am, like it's being in this place where everyone else is, is seeking peace, where everyone else is coming out of the world and being together with one purpose, with one goal, with one God, being there in a safe place where you know that everybody is worshiping, where you know that you can talk about your faith and nobody's going to judge you, where you know that you can sing at the top of your lungs and nobody's going to say, hey, Jeff, stop singing, that's awful. And you can, you can just be yourself, you can be with Jesus, you can be complete. And that's what's so important about it. And we're missing that right now. Now, hopefully we find semblances of that through Zoom meetings and through small groups and through all of these different things. But that moment 
of peace that we feel in church is vital. That moment of peace that we feel in church is missing for us. And so that's what Jesus is providing here for the disciples with this room, with this little paragraph. He's saying, I'm going to give you this moment of peace where you don't have to worry. And we're going to just be together. And so I go to the next verse. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table. Uh, at the table, Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. I want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, number one is, at this table, as I said, is Peter, who is an amazing person and who would go on to be the rock of the church, who would go on to, to build the church around his bold faith in Jesus and would be such a strong leader and do so many great things. But would also deny Jesus three times, basically lie and say, I don't know him. Would also try to kill in Jesus' name before Jesus said, no, we don't do that. But also at the table is Judas, the person who did betray him, the person who by now had already had that meeting to betray him, who had stolen from him, who had mocked him probably, who had set all of these things into motion. He was still there. And yet Jesus ate with them. Jesus didn't go around the table, and we're going to go to a little part where he talks about betrayal, but he didn't go around the table and say, look, you've really failed in this area, and you've really done this, and you've really done that, and this is what you need to fix. He knew that, but he took this time to just be with them. And to help strengthen them and say, look, in the days ahead, in the years ahead, in your life ahead, it's going to be a difficult time. And I am going to suffer for you. But because of that, because you follow me, because you believe in me, you will also suffer. Because the world hates to see different. And I don't even mean just Christianity, although it's obviously different, but it hates to see something that doesn't fit into a box, that's different, that makes, makes it think about itself, that points out the corruption just by not being corrupt, that, that points out the darkness just by being light. And the world hates to see that. And Jesus knows that. And so he says, I'm going to suffer, but I want to eat this with you so we can have this moment of peace, so we can have this moment of eating, so we can have this moment to just be together. And then he says, I'm about to go. And it's hard for him to say this, although he, he says everything truthfully and as he, he feels it and as he says it. And everything he says is amazing and good and perfect. But he still had to feel hurt by what's going to happen, but by the fact he's about to leave them. Knows, he knows that he's going to see them again in heaven, but he knows that what they're going to go through also. He knows that all of the men at the table, except for John, are going to die in horrible ways. And he knows that John's life isn't even going to be easy. He knows everything that's going to happen to him. And yet he sits there and eats. Because we all need to take these times. And the Easter season is something where it's at the forefront. And where we really think about all of the things Jesus went through. But part of the hero's journey. Part of Jesus' journey. Is it wasn't all just action. And by that I mean everything he did had a purpose. Everything he said had a purpose. He was always teaching. He was always helping. He was always loving. But there were times that he went and prayed. There were times that he sat and ate. There were times that he was just there listening to people. Because that is a part of the journey as well. Sometimes we feel, and especially during a quarantine, like we're not doing anything. We feel like, well, you know what? I should be out there doing this and doing that, and I'm not really accomplishing anything. By allowing yourself the time to rest, to relax, to build a relationship with Jesus, to focus, you are doing something important. Now, if that's all you do for the rest of your life, 
hey, I don't know if that's what's right for you, but you know, you're going to have to figure that out with him. But for now, when I, talk, I had a Facebook Live on Thursday, and one of the things I talked about was we have this feeling of missing out, especially right now. And that is true in a lot of ways. There are a lot of things that we're missing. There are a lot of things that we won't necessarily get back, maybe different versions of it. But we also have this time, this amazing time, this difficult time in the history of our nation, in the history of our world, where virtually every single person, regardless of faith, regardless of color, regardless of gender, regardless of whatever, is going through basically the same thing at the same time. We are all having this shared experience. Now, some people are handling it poorly. Some people are, are, are using it well. Some people are doing bad things. Some people are blah, blah, blah. But we all have this shared experience. And we all have this chance in life where time is always going, where everything is always going, where nothing stops, that everything is kind of stopped. And there are still things you're doing. I know some of you are teaching. Some of you are, are still working. Some of you have kids who are going to school online and you're helping them. You're also doing uh, housework. You're also working. You're also doing all these things. Uh, some of you have maybe more going on right now than you even did before the quarantine. But we have this time in our homes where we can truly look at this story of the Passover, of the Last Supper, and say, okay, God, I'm always the one talking because I don't want to stop and listen. I'm always the one moving because I don't want to stop and wait. I'm always the one going because work and school and kids and, and, and husband and wife and all of these different things. Everything is always moving. So now that I'm forced to stop, what do you have for me? What can you tell me? And I promise you that there's something. There's strength. There's peace. There's encouragement. And all of that is coming regardless of what is around you. I know that some of you are having a difficult time. Some of you are suffering. There are people with mental illnesses that, that are really hurt through this. There are people who didn't have mental illnesses or, or didn't have emotional issues, but because they were extroverted, because they need people, now they're starting to develop those because it's so hard to be isolated. But I promise you that whatever you're going through, Jesus understands whatever you're going through, through his life, through his journey, we can see a way out. We can see a way through. We can see a way onward. Uh, in the last series, I talked about mental issues. I talked about depression and anxiety and trauma and, and, and stress and, and the way you see yourself and all of these different things. And everybody has different versions of that that, that suffers with it. Uh, everybody deals with something and it's hard. But in that, it's basically this constant feeling of being less than. And I think now a lot of us are starting to feel that in different ways and we're starting to feel worry and it's coming out sometimes in negative ways online or whatever. And we see all of that and we feel all of that. And it's hard to stop and say, okay, what good can come from this? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure something can because we are still here and as long as there is life, there is hope, and that's what Jesus showed us, because he lives. He is the, the only living God. He, he lives. He came back again and, and lives and shows us a way forward, shows us that the journey never ends. Even if our life ends, we can keep going forward to heaven because he prepared a place for us. And so as he's eating and drinking with his friends, with the people that would betray him, with the people who talked behind his back occasionally, with the people who would begin the church, all of those different groups, as he's praying and eating and drinking with them, he is showing them, this is how you live your life. This is what you should do. You should always treat people as you want to be treated. You should always do your best. You should always be forgiving. You should always be hopeful. You should always keep moving forward in my name. 
And we go to the next part. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this, is, this cup is my new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. As the disciples heard this, they probably were like, what are you talking about? Like, there was an idea of communion before, but nothing like this. And for him to say as a sacrifice for you, again, they didn't fully understand what he meant by that, and yet they knew that this was special. We know that this is special. Uh, Communion is a, a sacrament. It's something that every Christian church continues to do because of this moment, because of this covenant. A covenant is more than a promise. It's more than a guarantee. It's more than agreement. It, it, it is Jesus saying, I am going to die so that you don't have to. I'm going to suffer so you don't have to. I'm going to show you a better way forward. I'm going to show you hope that can rise within you if you allow me to live there. And through this communion that we share every time, that we do it. Like, I believe there's one coming up on the first Sunday of May. And at this church, we do it at the first week of every month. Uh, at some churches, they do it every week. At some churches, they do it quarterly. At some churches, they do it every other quarter, whatever. It, it doesn't matter how often you do it. The reason we do it is what matters. And, and it's not just to have communion with each other, although that's special and that's important. It's to honor this covenant that Jesus gave us. To honor this blood that he poured out for us. To honor the body that he sacrificed, not just in the final days of crucifixion and being beaten, but walking along his journey, living painfully throughout everything that he did, sacrificing daily for us. That's what communion is about. And that is part of this Last Supper. It's Jesus sitting and saying, okay, there's going to be this time that we can have peace and we can eat and we can share and we can fellowship. And now we're going to take part in this covenant because what I'm doing is true and what I'm doing is important and what I'm doing is, is for you. And I promise that if you remember this moment, this communion, then you will be able to do this with your followers, with the ones that, that you teach about me, that you bring into the church. And then as they grow and become leaders, they can do it with theirs and on and on and on until you get to 2020 and beyond. But all of this is to, to remind us of this moment where Jesus about to die is not saying, all of you guys are awful, but he's saying, share this time with me. And I promise you, that I will be back for you. I promise you that you can be like me. I promise you that there is a way forward. Next part. But here at the table, sitting among us, this is Jesus speaking, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world... Kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be, the, be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. Uh, this is an important part, too, because basically he says somebody's going to betray me. I think for us, most of us, if we were in this position, we would sit there. And we would look right at Judas, and we'd be like, yeah, somebody, see him over there, right there? Or, you know, the one that's wiping his, his mouth with his finger and, like, picking his ear and all that stuff. See him? Somebody is going to betray me. That's what we would do, because we suck sometimes, to be honest. 
And yet Jesus did not do that. He said the truth. He said someone's going to betray him. He could have gone on to say what each of them would do, uh, good and bad in their lives. He didn't. He could have made Judas feel awful. Judas deserved to feel awful. He deserved to pay a price for what he was going to do, what he'd done. And yet Jesus showed him grace in this moment. It must have been a tremendous burden to know exactly what was going to happen and yet to still have hope for the people around you. To know exactly what Judas was going to do, but to still have that aching of, man, there's a way forward, Judas, just listen to me. Jesus, I would guarantee, even in that moment where he knows, and he, he knew the whole plan, he was part of the whole plan, but I would guarantee that he still had in his heart this, this secret hope where like, man, I really wish Judas would just shake it up and say, I- I'm sorry and change. Now, the plan had to happen and Jesus still would have died and sacrificed himself and something, someone would have betrayed him. But he still has hope for each of us, even knowing that we fail, even knowing that we mess up. And yet he was still giving second chances, even here in the final days. And what sticks me even more than that is like seconds after he says, somebody's going to betray me and kill me, basically. Uh, the disciples who all loved him and weren't going to betray him, at least literally, uh, started being like, oh, well, I'm going to be the best in heaven. Like, I'm better than you. Like, I can jump higher and look, I can dunk that. And they're like, dunk, basketball isn't invented yet. And he's like, I can throw farther than Joe Burrow. And other people are like, everybody can. Just joking. We'll see. But it's like, they immediately went away from all of this importance. And this is right after communion and right after the last supper. And they go away from all of that. And are like, I'm better than you. We do that today. We do that all of the time. Everything in humanity is about, I'm better than you. Uh, One of the things that is amazing about what Jesus says here is, the servants will be leaders. We don't understand that even, even today. Like, we understand it, but we still get caught up in the disciple arguments. Uh, One of the things that I've said about politics before, to take an optimistic view of a politician, I believe that most, probably not all, but most, get into politics with a desire to serve. They're like, I want to be a congressman, I want to be a councilman, I want to be a senator, I want to be a presidential candidate, whatever. And they have a desire to serve. And then little by little they make compromises, they continue to be in that position of of authority. And when you are struggling, you understand people that are struggling. When you are not struggling, it's pretty far away. And so the longer you're in politics, the longer you're in a position of leadership, the longer you have a lot of money, the harder it is to remember what it was like before. And that's where I think the change happens with so many. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that the leaders are, are always uh, have to be waiters or whatever. He's saying you can't lose this servant's heart. You have to be leading for other people, not just to be a leader. You can't care about the popularity, about the votes, about the political party. You can't care about that. You have to just care about the service, about doing it for me, about doing it for each other. And and man, we suck sometimes because even Christians get caught up in this. And yet Jesus still gives us another chance because he has mercy, because he's among us, because he serves us. And he teaches us what it truly means to be like Jesus. The last part, you have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's basically telling the disciples, I'm about to go away and join a kingdom and prepare it for you, and then you're going to lead the church. And that's what he says to us as well, because there is no quote-unquote church of tomorrow, which is what we often tell people. 
It is always today. It is always living for him each day. Planning for tomorrow, absolutely. Building for tomorrow, absolutely. But not saying, well, someday I'm going to change. Someday I'm going to lead. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do that. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to prepare. I'm not saying that you can just jump into being a pastor or a music leader or whatever. What I'm saying is the time to be a Christian, the time to be like Jesus is always now. It's always right now, and we keep building with that. We keep growing like that. I began this message tonight by saying that we say be like Jesus so often that sometimes it can lose meaning. I'm guilty of that as well. But what it means is shown in each of these weeks. It's shown in every moment that Jesus lived, every moment that that he did anything. It's shown what it means to be like him. He tells us it means being a servant, having a servant's heart. He tells us it means preparing for other people. He tells us it means sitting with people who may hate you and may hurt you and may have hurt you and yet still being hopeful, still living a good life, still caring for them and loving them and praying for them and being better than we were yesterday. That's what it means to be like Jesus, to live in such a way that he did. It means doing everything we can to deal with the sacrifices, to deal with the persecutions, to deal with the hurts, to deal with the hang-ups, to deal with the tragedies, not to just sweep them under the rug but to learn from them, to take the time to pray, to take the time to grow, to take the time to gain strength, to take the time we are given on this earth, which is short, and to build something just like he did, and to do it in his name, to do it to help each other, not to do it to make a name for yourself, not to do it just because somebody told you to, but because you truly want to make a difference. You truly want to matter in his name. You truly want to show people what it means to be light. There's a quote, and I believe I've even used it in this series, but I really love it, and it's by Martin Luther King Jr. And it's basically, darkness cannot wipe out darkness. Only light can do that. That is so amazingly important today. It is something that we all see around us. We see darkness. We feel darkness. Right now, there is literal darkness around me. I can see like little light things somewhere. And we get tempted, like the disciples did when they're arguing over who's best, we get tempted to give in. We get tempted to allow the ends to justify the means. And yet, that doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. The only way to change things is by being like Jesus. The only way to change things is by reading his story, by living out his truths, by living out his teachings, by living out his healings, by realizing how much he loved even Judas and even the Pharisees and even the people who hated him, how much he still loved them. He didn't say, hey, go do your own thing and you're okay. He he gave them consequences. He gave them the truth and he lived it out. And he wasn't shy about saying that's wrong. And yet, it was always in a loving way, a teaching way, a growing way. And that's what we have now. This chance to be like that. And so whatever you've taken from this series, whatever context you've gained from going backwards, whatever um, hope that you've gotten from the Easter season, from this point on, no matter what has happened to you before, and maybe you've lived a wonderful life before, and I hope so, and that's awesome. But whatever has happened before, From this point on, look at this story of Jesus, this hero's journey of Jesus, and say, okay, I've tried it my way, and I've tried it his way, and I've tried it her way, and I've tried it the world's way, and I've tried it the political way, and I've tried it the money way. What's the Jesus way? Loving everyone, 
loving God, loving others, living in such a way that people cannot help but see His strength just pouring out of you, to see His light flowing off of you. You're going to have difficult times. Before the quarantine is over, there will be something that will cause you pain and and hurt, and, and you'll feel disappointment. After the quarantine is over, you'll feel those things again. I would love, and I've said this before, I would love to be able to say that if you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect forever. It's not until heaven. But we can show people what heaven is like. We can show people that we serve a God who not only came to earth to be with us and be like us and show us a better way, but who went through betrayal with grace, who went through beatings with love, who went through death with hope, and through all of that, as he came back again, said, I will never leave you. So do your best to show everyone who Jesus is, who you can be, and why we are here. That's all I got.